This is the Daily Dispatch podcast with your business correspondent, Ted Keenan. Today, Dispatch Live is talking to Nico Schultz. And Nico, aside from being a koi keeper, you're also an attorney. Yes, I'm in the legal, legal industry, put it that way. Ah, Ted, it's Peter with Safe Note, yeah? And Peter, you're a koi keeper as well, but you're also an electrical engineer. That's correct, yes. So these koi have no idea the quality of gentlemen that are looking after them. <laughs> Nico, is this a cheap hobby? Uh, at the prices that Cavallo sells its uh, uh, newly bred koi, yes, it is a cheap hobby. But as a general proposition, uh, it's not a cheap hobby. And uh, that is one of uh, our uh, uh, mottos. It's to make the hobby cheaper and affordable for the ordinary koi keeper in South Africa. That is our, one of our missions. I'm, I'm a little surprised because you mentioned prices up in the hundred thousands, etc. So the people that are into koi properly spend a lot of money. Yes, they do. Uh, and that's a fact. And uh, the prices I mentioned to you, they are in rands and cents. If you look at the overseas market where people buy uh, in euros and they buy in um, uh, US dollars, uh, the prices are actually much higher than that. To the best of my knowledge, the most expensive koi ever sold on the international market was about four years ago at 26,400,000 rand. Wow. The hobby that you've got here would probably not be possible without a decent amount of land, and you've got a farm in the Ganubi area. That's correct. The uh, farm that we have where we run our Cavalla Koi is called Cavalla Stables. It consists of 23 hectares. The area that we use is probably about 200 meters by 200 meters. Um, the, it's not just the land, it's the electrical usage. Um, luckily, being in the electrical game, uh, we've put in a solar system with about six hours of backup batteries. Our constant load is in the region of four kilowatts per hour. So uh, load shedding does affect us, but uh, we've mitigated that risk by putting the solar system in. How did you get into it? Koi. Madness. I, I had a pond that I thought I should populate with some koi. And in 2015, I bought my first koi at the koi show that is held annually at Spog Center. And uh, guys that helped me choose fish are now my koi acquaintances. So that's how it started. It was just to have some fish in a pond and now it's been on steroids. How many, this will be an impossible question, but I'll try you anyway, Nico. How many fish have you got here? On site, uh, Peter's the one that normally keeps tabs and numbers, but I can't imagine that we have less than 2,000 or 3,000 fish here at the moment. Yeah, uh, at the moment it's probably around about uh, between three and 4,000. But in the peak of breeding season, when and we talk fish being from 7 cm, we can go right up to about 16,000 fish. How much of this would you consider hobby, Peter? And at what stage does hobby become a business? Um, all hobbies uh, by eccentric people like Nick and R uh, would always take up a lot of time. So we allocate time at no cost. 
uh, our hobby has developed into a shop for fellow koi keepers in the East London area. We sell fish throughout the whole South African market. And to answer your question, when does it uh, become a business? All hobbies should really pay for themselves. And that's what our, what our main goal is, is that our hobby is paid for itself or funded by itself over a period of five to ten years. Nico, you were saying that you often have to go to the airport to pick up koi that are coming from Japan. Yet neither of you have been to Japan yet. There's a huge level of trust here. Yes, that is so. One of our dreams is actually to go and tour Japan and the famous uh, uh, Japanese koi farms. Uh, we're fortunate that we live in the new era. We can uh, experience things virtually. So we have thought through the internet, not for hours, days, weeks and months on end. We're also very fortunate that we work through an importer, WCB Imports. is the biggest uh, fish importer in South Africa. Mike Seagull, we've got a very good relationship with him. It used to be a business relationship initially. It's now business and friendship. We trust him. Uh, he goes overseas. We don't pick off photographs anymore. He is physically in attendance at the various breeders throughout Japan. And uh, he knows what we want. He knows what we're looking for. He knows what quality we want. He knows the price ranges. And we're in constant communication with him when he's there. And we import koi. So our, our client base, our fellow koi hobbyists, can have the facility of actual imported koi, alternatively the koi bred by Cavallo koi in South Africa, but using exclusively Japanese brood stock. How many enthusiasts are, do you reckon there are in South Africa? Guys that spend a decent amount of money and have got decent facilities, rather than the backyard pond. Look, uh, the Koi in South Africa is regulated by the South African Koi Keeper Society, SACS uh, for short. Now, from a membership perspective, I don't think the membership of SACS is extensive and is certainly not reflective of the number of keen Koi Keepers and hobbyists throughout South Africa. Uh, the numbers are fairly low, but those numbers normally represent the, um, the, the people who import Koi at huge prices and who compete at the shows for bragging rights. But our experience has been, Peter and I, and I'm sure you'll back me up, by having attended multiple Koi shows throughout South Africa uh, and fielding many phone calls and the like subsequent to, to us moving onto the, the Koi platform, we found that there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are passionate Koi keepers. These are not the backyard pond guys. No, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think there are many, many, many more koi keepers than anybody can imagine. Peter, I was quite staggered when I looked in one of the ponds. These things are not tiny fish, are they? No, they grow to, with the decent genetics, the right food, the right water conditions. Um, the fish can grow within three years to anything up to 70 cm. By four, year four, year five, they can get up to a meter. Now, everybody has a dream of having koi up to a meter. However, the reality is not many koi in the conditions that we put them under get to a meter. Um, there's, I would say, there's probably not more than 20 koi in South Africa 
that are genuinely over a meter. And these granddads, do they still breed? They are able to breed, uh, but because they are so unique and exceptional, uh, and with the breeding process being quite robust and aggressive, where the males uh, chase the females, uh, it does happen from time to time that fish experience uh, serious injuries uh, that compromise uh, their show ability. And sometimes fish actually perish during the spawning process. So, yes, physically they're able to spawn. Uh, we're aware of fish that are 12 years and older, uh, 18 years old, that are still spawning. Uh, but the, the tendency is to use fish of good genetics to spawn with, uh, but to keep those exceptional koi, who are also koi of good genetics, but to keep them out for show purposes. Peter, there are some incredible colors in that here, but when we were walking around, I noticed an almost golden color with uh, a darker brown in it. If you want to get that as your, if it's any value, if you want to get that as your sort of prize fish, can you pull all those out, put them in separate ponds and breed with them so you will always get that color variation? The, I think the fish you're identifying is called a Nichiba, and that comes from basically crossing a Kohaku with a Chagoy, so you do, out of your spawn of a couple of thousand or hundred thousand fry that will come through, um, very few will show those exact two-to-type tendencies. You will get um, pure chagoy, pure sorry which is just a silverfish, and then you'll get your achiever. So it's, <coughs> it's not like cattle. You can't put a Hereford with a whatever and you'll get a, a perfect cross and you can breed that cross throughout. You get throwbacks. You get, you get throwbacks to the original breeding fish that we use. Yes, you do. What is the biggest challenge, Nico, that has faced you guys over the last, what, five, six years that you've been in operation? To me, it's uh, basically time. Uh, the commitment's there, but time. To, to balance uh, your passion and, the t- and its very consuming time frames with business and your family life. Uh, to me, that's been a big challenge. And and then generally, although Peter and I, we've we've done our homework and uh, we work hard at it, uh, to me, is to uh, the biggest challenge is to maintain optimal water parameters for the fish. Because once you've, you've hit the, the good spot there, koi keeping becomes easy. You've got a large dam on your property. Do you use dam water? We blend water into our system, boil water, some mains water, and uh, dam water. Uh, the water comes at a cost, so we've got to be very careful with it. That's why we've got quite big filtration systems to ensure that we maintain top quality conditions all the time. If we were sitting here in five years' time, Peter, would this look the same? Would it look a lot bigger? Would you still be focusing on this type of business? Yes, we keep the business going as it is in terms of expanding. I don't think we'll be expanding on it. Um, as Nico pointed out, it's very time-consuming. So the system that is in place right now, I think, is about 500,000 litres of water here in about 20, nearly 30 vats. 
So um, we wouldn't be growing anymore. The, the system we've got now, as a boutique breeder, we believe we've got the optimum size for it. Are there much bigger breeders in South Africa? We're aware of one uh, koi breeder. Uh, yeah, that's that's in the Natal area, in Konza Koi. Uh, and Nijikoi in Nijikoi near Boxburg or um, they are big. Uh, I've seen the infrastructure on TikTok and, and uh, uh, on Facebook. Uh, the facilities they're very different from ours. Uh, as Peter uh, mentioned, um, we consider ourselves a boutique breeder. So rather than focus on numbers, we actually focus on on quality, optimal quality, and getting it into the society at the right price. Not simply selling a koi for the sake of selling it. So, if we cast our minds back a while, when you were busy kicking people at the bottom of the scrum, did you ever realize that you would be a fish breeder? <laughs> that was the last thing that was on my mind. Then, and until about four or five years ago, uh, the, the, this concept or idea was actually born one night where we were sitting, we called this a nursery, it used to be a nursery which Peter and his son ran on the farm. We were sitting on uh, upturned buckets with a few beers in front of us. And uh, yes, the concept was born, but uh, at a microscopic level compared to what you, you're seeing now. Peter, are you originally an East London man? No, born and bred in King Williamstown, so it's just up the road. I think some uh, King Williamstown people consider King to be a suburb of East London. I uh, went to our college, matriculated in 78, and been in this area since then. And, and also... Did, were you a sports person? Or? Played rugby at school, played um, squash, and uh, played rugby for Alberts, and uh, played squash until uh, about five years ago. And as with Nika, Koi was not even in your wildest dreams? Not until 2016. And you both enjoy it? We love it. And what it's done is, it's improved our friendship. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you both, gentlemen. It's really nice interviewing you. Good luck with the koi. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Oh, Appreciate it.